podcast i'm marvin and my call sign is w0met whether you're an experienced ham or just getting started this podcast is for you and we're bringing you the latest of topics news and information and all things amateur radio each episode right here to this show this is episode number 24 subscribe wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to follow me on twitter well we'll be talking about in this episode we'll be discussing our second episode on emergency communications this is just a two-part uh or, or the second part of a three-part series uh that we'll be talking about so i'll get the, into that a little bit later in the show uh, one of the things i wanted to highlight first was uh kind of a projects and things that's been going on but one of the things i was able to tweet out earlier this week was a item that i realized was kind of very common in a lot of my stuff. And uh, that is the Fisher Space Pin. Um, I'll provide a link for that here in the show notes that you can find as well on buymeacoffee.com or my website, thehamradioguide.com. Now, no matter what the environment was for uh, your outdoor setting, um, their pins have always wrote for me uh, with no problem. Uh, these are the perfect all-weather pins that write in the cold, rain, snow, mud, sleet, and heat. Um, I carry one in my backpack for work, carry one in my truck, carry one in my ham radio gear, and I use this pen almost daily. So check out the link to get one of these for yourself. And, um, you know, I'll, again, that link is in the show notes. And uh, it might be great for any field day event or a POTA outing as well, if you especially do your logs, uh, paper logs. Uh, and, you know, writing the rain notebook is always great, too, to go with that. So I apologize if it sounds a little uh, droggy today. A little bit of a cold, summer cold, late summer cold going on here and uh, whatnot. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll push through here and get this episode completed. Well, one of the things I've been talking about is trailer items and getting my emergency communication trailer set up and working. So I did receive the trailer now and um, we've got all the parts. Haven't had time to really sit down and necessarily get those things installed. But uh, now it's really coming up. Now I've got some wall space and measurements. I uh, trying to figure out where everything's going to go, how it's going to be mounted on the wall, what's the most efficient use of that. Uh, and then if I want to put like a cabinet in there, I want to hide it behind a cabinet or, or on a shelf somehow. So I'm trying to figure some of that out still and what that may look like. But uh, that is, um, you know, definitely coming along and, and we'll talk more about that. And, uh, it'll probably be a couple of episodes now because it's actually in Missouri temporarily, and I won't see that thing till uh, mid-October again. But we will get uh, maybe a couple photos out on that uh, as well along the way, uh, showing some of our action, uh, get those tweeted out on our social media page. Um, one of the things I want to talk about also was a vendor highlight. I've done this in several episodes, and um, one of the things that... Uh, I was able to come across them at the Huntsville Ham Fest. Uh, this is called American Filament. Uh, they manufacture high-quality 3D printing filament using materials sourced from within the USA and provide top-notch 3D design and printing services using a combined 25-plus years of design, prototyping, and printing experience. Um, so we will have the owner on a very near episode, so stay tuned for that episode. We'll be talking about printers. I know a lot of people on ham radio use 3D printers, and so we're excited to get them on here and talk about this a little bit more 
and uh, uh, learn about 3D printing and filaments and, and why theirs is good and uh, or, or maybe in their case is great. So uh, we'll definitely talk about that and, and go from there. Um, my uh, sponsor uh, for the show again today, uh, Club Gear Online. Uh, carries all your favorite swag, ham radio gear for your loved one uh, to birthday or other holidays like Father's Day or Christmas. Check out Club Gear Online. A recent items released, the desktop mats, Poda keychains, metal band plans. Club Gear Online has what you need. And he can customize coins or poker chips, QSL cards, and other great gear just for you. Email him direct from the website, clubgearonline.com. And you can find him now on Etsy. Uh, he's released a store on there. So he has some items on there you can find as well. And um, reach out to him for all your uh, ham radio gear or gifts you would like to find. If you'd like to help support the channel and become a patron, look for me on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ham radio guy. There's three levels you can support me at, a technician, general, or extra. You can simply support the channel at just $1 a month or get the extra class membership with more benefits. So um, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you guys for uh, being part of the channel and subscribing and uh, liking uh, the podcast as well. Again, hanging with me in there through this week uh, a little bit with uh, a little stuffiness going on. But let's move into a little bit of news here and uh, we'll see what's going on and get into our topic for the week. Amateur radio news uh, with a release date of uh, September 15th here. Hurricane Lee is expected to affect parts of the New England in the U.S. and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick in Canada. Amateur radio emergency service Aries groups are on high alert and ready to respond. The AWRL section in the impacted areas are preparing for activation with concerns about power outages due to potential tree falls and heavy rain. Eastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island have already experienced flooding and tornadoes. The Hurricane WatchNet is in alert level two, closely monitoring the storm's progress. The Hurricane voiced over IP net plans to activate and collect reports. Both groups send to the WX4NHC amateur radio station at the National Hurricane Center. Amateur radio operators are advised to prepare their stations using Aries Go Kit checklist. And I will write a uh, link to that also in the uh, show notes. So um, you'll find a copy of that or where you can get a copy of that uh, Aries checklist as well there. Well, uh, one other article I found this week is pretty interesting uh, for those that may or may not know uh, that there is a program out there, uh, an app on the iPhone called Radio Mail. And in this mail, in this news uh, segment here, uh, it's great for sending WinLink over your iPhone using like a MobiLink or something like that. The article reports that the latest iOS uh, 17, uh, the release candidate version, identified as 21A329, is causing Radio Mail app to crash when it's launched. The problem is consistently reproducible, but a solution has not been identified yet. The issue is not present in the early beta versions of iOS 17, and the recommendation is to hold off on upgrading to iOS 17 until the problem is resolved, and the hope that as Apple will address the issue soon. Users are experiencing this crash are encouraged to submit a report to Apple through the feedback app. So if you're using WinLink uh, mail app 
on your iPhone. Uh, just realize that upgrading to iOS 17 may cause some issues, but um, you know it's it's being worked on and they're well aware of it. Uh, one other final article I found uh, for this week. Again, I try and do about three articles a week. Is the once ubiquitous presence of the electronics retail landscape, Radio Shack, uh, now selling uh, amateur radio, known for selling amateur radio gear, uh, faded into obscurity in the United States after filing for Chapter 11 about 2015. And however, the brand may be poised for a comeback thanks to unexpected twist. Unicomer uh, recently extended its Radio Shack ownership to about 70 additional countries, including the US, Canada, Europe, and China. Uh, with a proven track record in retail management, there's speculation that Unicomer might attempt to revive Radio Shack's brick-and-mortar presence worldwide. So uh, the corporate website hints that it plans to develop a business and reach customers with a broad product portfolio but provides no specific details. So tell us what you think about the stories and what is your experience with Radio Shack out there. Uh, will it make a comeback? Um, can it uh, have the nostalgia it once had? and uh, be available for us again uh, in a brick-and-mortar format. So looking forward to that, and we'll see where, um, you know, if that comes back and makes a difference. Uh, that would be cool to have Radio Shack back around. Uh, I did enjoy the store. It was always great. All right. Well, welcome back to the show here. Uh, we are heading into part two of the three-part series on emergency communications. Uh, this month of September, it is National Preparedness Month uh, in observance of each September to raise awareness about the importance of preparing for disasters and emergencies that could happen at any time. And, uh, you know, each episode we're discussing the critical amateur radio plays and emergency communications. So let's get into this a little bit more and uh, dive into this and see what this looks like uh, for this week. One of the fundamental aspects, uh, got, I list this out kind of as bullet points usually, but uh, one of the fundamental aspects of amateur radio, uh, I found it was in part 97, uh, 97.1 of the rules and regulations governing the hobby of amateur radio. Its commitment is to provide emergency communications. And this commitment reflects the amateur radio's community uh, recognition and dedication to enhancing the part of our service uh, to the public in, in times of need. And that, that's what a lot of us uh, got into ham radio for, is to be able to have that community service and, and provide a, a service back to the community. And so, uh, you know, that comes right out of our rules and regulations. Um, a lot of amateur radios take this very uh, seriously. I mean, it, it is a big responsibility to have out there. Uh, they volunteer their time and hours and expertise to assist with various served agencies. Uh, maybe it may be something like uh, the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency or a state agency of some sort, or it may be a local emergency management office. Uh, maybe something like a, a CERT team could be a Red Cross. So a lot of different agencies out there that uh, they will, uh, you know, have access to. And, and, you know, these efforts will span, you know, from local events, uh, maybe sometimes like a search and rescue for a missing person, or again, helping with a town's uh, cert team uh, to some type of statewide involvement, uh, you know, for wildfires and flooding, uh, you know, international disaster relief with tsunamis uh, or hurricanes. Uh, you know, we, we help out with you know major company, uh, countries like 
uh, Haiti or uh, Puerto Rico when they've had major disasters down there. So what does it really take to get involved in public service and emergency communication through amateur radio? Uh, if you're new to this, you may not know, and you may have that question. Uh, well, really, it's, it's two things I could think of that I, could came, I, I came across, and that's a technician class license uh, for amateur radio and a willingness to serve. Uh, and I guess a need to feel like you want to, you know, give something back. Um, you know, once you obtain your amateur radio license, uh, the next step is to maybe join like a cert team or an amateur radio emergency communication organization, a, a local club of some sort. Um, you know, it could be Aries, it could be Racies. And, you know, these groups um, are usually associated with amateur radio clubs in your area, and you can find them. You know, there, there's you can go to ARRL and search for them. Uh, you might be able to just do a, a Facebook or a, a Google search and find some of these organizations that are more local to your area. And they can help guide you on the equipment you need and the training required to become an effective emergency communicator. Um, so they can, you know, tell you what type of equipment they need to use, and, and you can certainly go back to the ARRL checklist as well. But you go, well, I've got a cell phone. What? I don't need a radio. Why, why is that important? Well, you know, in emergency, uh, cell phones, we're going to go down. Uh, you know, that's a, a lot of people don't necessarily think that, that that's a, you know, it's a permanent communication solution. But uh, if power goes out, that doesn't happen. So one of the first things to remember is that cell phone towers can go down in emergency, leaving large areas without communication. Uh, moreover, uh, some rural areas may even lack cell phone coverage. And I know I've mentioned that in previous episode as well about talking about this a little bit, but think about it from this perspective. Just think about going out to a large event like a sports stadium, a holiday, a city holiday celebration of some sort, like a 4th of July or Christmas parade. And your cell phone use during that time is high in the, in that immediate area, Right. And because of all the coverage it's providing to those cell phones for the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in that area during the time, I'm sure you've seen a diminished use of the cell phone where you can't call out very well or you're slow sending a text out. Um, and so now imagine a, a cell phone tower without power and you still got you know lots of people in the area that cell, one cell tower is trying to provide service for. So... Uh, you know, that's why cell phones are not a viable uh, source of communication uh, during emergency. Now, many states have invested in the 800 megahertz trunking systems to support emergency responders. And, you know, these systems aren't without limitations either. In some of these situations, uh, trunking systems can become overloaded, uh, also making it challenging for responders to communicate effectively. And a lot of, like, first responders work off of uh, cell towers. Uh, they are using LTE equipment. Uh, Verizon and AT&T, uh, like FirstNet, to uh, rely on some of that for their, some of their communication. And uh, you know, if that goes down, that makes a problem for them as well. And in a trunking system, again, there's a limited number of channels available on the trunk system tower that uh, agencies and, and groups can get on and, and communicate together. And so this is really where amateur radio shines and comes through. Amateur radio operators have equipment and expertise to create ad hoc networks and we can fill in the gaps where communication is needed. We can set up stations literally on a back of a truck or in a trailer or, you know, in, on, on a, on a, 
you know, fold out table. And, uh, you know, we can provide, you know, voice communications, uh, even without, you know, having a repeater or power there. And because on a major storm, you may lose those items as well. Uh, but, um, you know, we can set up, you know, pretty much anywhere, anytime. And we can use digital communication. Uh, we can use WinLink to send emails and computer files uh, or images uh, over radio links. And, um, you know, we can send emails with attachments uh, like through WinLink. So, you know, WinLink is also used by government and non-government public service organizations, uh, medical, humanitarian, nonprofits, again, like Red Cross, um, emergency communication organizations. Uh, I, I, you know, this actually sounds like it could be another podcast by itself, uh, just, um, you know, talking about WinLink and everything it can do, its features, its capabilities. And it's one of those things that I'm still trying to learn and, and go through a lot. Um, and I've got it figured out now using a Linux setup, which is great. But we'll move on at this point to talk about WinLink, but definitely uh, maybe move back into that in another time because it could be a, certainly a good part of uh, emergency communications that it's good for you to have that at your uh, you know, tool belt, uh, have it on your side uh, if you need it. So you've got your radio, you've got your equipment, uh, now you, you kind of want to know what radio frequencies are used in emergencies. Well, I'd like to say everything is. Uh, it, it's all available um, within your license capability, right? So, you know, any and all frequencies are available. So, for instance, in Puerto Rico, amateur radio operators used HF frequencies to send and receive voice and digital messages due to the vast distances involved uh, coming, you know, across from Fort Puerto Rico to the U.S. And often, you know, not possible on other amateur radio frequencies, uh, like a VHF or UHF. And so they're more commonly used for, uh, you know, we refer to that as two meters and 440, but they're used for, you know, uh, emergency or public service communication over a smaller area, more of a local area. Uh, Skywarn nets um, will use that typically, uh, providing crucial weather information to local emergency managers uh, and weather agencies like the National Weather Service. And, you know, they operate on countywide VHF or UHF repeaters, relaying the information back to the National Weather Service. Now, here in Tennessee, we have a system called M-Tiers, and it really goes across the state from one side to the other, practically, uh, covering a good portion of the state. And we can relay all that information right back to a National Weather Service station uh, locally. And so, uh, you know, talking about the National Weather Service, they're using Slack now for its National Weather Service chat rooms and weather information. And it appears to be more stable than the old Northwest or NWS chat that a lot of people might refer to it as uh, that they had. And so it's a much more stable platform and, and it's much easier to get into and, and keep up with as well. So, uh, again, using those VHF and UHF frequencies for local stuff. But besides that, we have other things in our tool belt for amateur radio using um, like the 2.4 or 5 gigahertz bands for... Uh, amateur radio, uh, sending um, information over those frequencies, uh, the higher bandwidth, making data communications faster, uh, which can be vital for certain emergency situations. And we'll use this, uh, or, or typically refer to this as like Aridin, Amateur Radio Emergency Data Network, uh, setting up you know a, a mesh network of some sort, uh, sending RF data over the bands to communicate uh, with things like you can do voice over IP. We can make phone calls. Um, 
We can provide internet to other areas using Aridin, uh, just using the 2.4 or 5 gigahertz band and, and whatnot. Um, and that's a great little system that you can you know tie into uh, and, and network from other locations that may have better service. So it's, it's kind of like a mesh networking that involves you know several access points and combining them together. And that's what we can do in that local area if emergency was to uh, come up. Now, I did say earlier that a technician class license was sufficient because most of the activities do occur on VHF and UHF on a local level. But, um, you know, as you gain experience, uh, I would highly recommend that you upgrade to a general class license. Now, this is because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, some emergency situations uh, may require HF communications. Again, if you're trying to relay a message from Puerto Rico or Haiti or something, uh, you know, technicians don't have that necessarily privilege to be able to do that. Now, before I went on the air here today, I was listening to uh, HF on 20 meters, and it sounds like the Route 66 is going on this weekend, the the New Jersey QSO party, the Texas QSO party, all on HF. Uh, and that's a... Um, it's just a ton of fun to get on HF and operate and listen to those stations and communicate with them. So um, while it's great for emergency communications, it's also great to be able to have the ability to talk further out when you want to. So, you know, you always want to aim for the highest level of proficiency, uh, considering an amateur radio extra license, which is what I have. And again, talk about those added uh, frequency privileges. Uh, you know, the advanced license provides you with an in-depth knowledge of electronics, you gain more information, uh, understanding of antennas and radio wave characteristics, uh, making you a better communicator, understanding why you have noise levels or why you have uh, antenna issues and SWRs and uh, issues and things like that. And so, uh, you know, what is, um, you know, uh, decibels and things like that. So you, you understand what, you know, you, you lose, um, well, I'm drawing a blank on what I wanted to go to on this. But anyway, uh, you, you do get more knowledge uh, becoming a extra class license, and, and it does help you out a lot. Now, it's essential to note that in obtaining your amateur license, uh, emergency communication groups like Aries or RACES uh, require, you know, specific training, and it may want you to become an extra general class license to operator to be able to do more. But uh, having extra training uh, is never hurts anyone. It's always good to have more education and have some basic courses uh, that are readily accessible with, you know, online uh, typically. And we're going to talk about them in just a second here. And this is the other part of emergency communications and gaining a better understanding of now you've had an emergency, you've got your radio, you've got your equipment, you know what frequencies you're going to be on, but can you just go show up at a event? Uh, can you show up somewhere in a disaster say, hey, I'm here to help? And so, uh, really want to help you understand incident command system. Now, being in prior law enforcement, I understand this, and I've gone through a lot of these courses, and I've taken them you know, several times over as they go from version A to version B, version C, et cetera. And I will describe some of these courses uh, in basic in just a second here, but these are typically mandated by organizations uh, like uh, Team Rubicon or Red Cross or the ITDRC and probably even your local Aries or Racy's group. Uh, will require that you have these basic courses. It lets them know you understand the basics of an emergency and what it consists of. So the Federal Emergency Management Agency has offered a range of emergency preparedness courses through its website, and I've provided a link to that, uh, training.fema.gov 
slash is. And that is, uh, I'll put that in the show notes. But of course, these are designed to provide individuals with essential knowledge and skills for responding to emergencies and disasters effectively. Now, some of the key courses uh, that I would highly recommend that you go get uh, to have a basic understanding and concept of the incident command system and how emergencies work um, is ICS-100. Now, this is an introduction to the incident command system. And of course, this introduces participants to the incident command system, which is a standardized approach by emergency responders to manage incidents effectively. It covers the basic principles and organizational structures of ICS. ICS-200 builds on the knowledge from ICS-100, and this course develops deeper into the ICS structure, including how to manage incidents involving multiple agencies and resources. And then you've got Introduction to the National Incident Management System, NIMS. Uh, It's a comprehensive framework for managing emergencies uh, in the United States, and it, again, gives you the principles and how to apply those to incident management. And finally, ICS-800, it's a national response framework, outlines the nation's response to all types of disasters and emergencies, and they are covered, uh, the key components and how to guide uh, response efforts. So pretty simple courses, probably take an hour or two each. Um, but if you ever want to do like an Oxcom course, anything like that, it will also require you to have those courses, and it's good to have them under your belt. Well, these are, courses are valuable for, uh, obviously, emergency responders, government officials, anyone interested in understanding how an emergency manager operates in the United States. And completing these courses uh, helps you know, contribute uh, to your community service, your amateur radio club, and gives you a better understanding of preparedness and, and more effectively, uh, how to respond to that emergency and disaster. Some people just panic and have no idea what to do and how they can do that. So accessing these courses and more on that FEMA website, I'll again provide a link to that in the show notes. And I think that will help you a lot. Uh, if you haven't got those courses or you need to maybe do an update from uh, version B to version C, uh, go out and do that as well. So there's a lot you uh, you know have there, uh, a lot of information I've given you. But I really do believe that it's critical uh, an amateur radio uh, operator does have a critical role to play in emergency communications. And it's a hobby that transforms into a lifeline uh, when disaster strikes. Uh, a lot of people rely on amateur radio operators. And, you know, connecting people and providing vital information when other systems have simply just, oh, if you're interested in getting involved, uh, you know, there are numerous amateur radio organizations uh, focused on this type of public service and this emergency communications. Again, Aries, Racy's. You can do uh, Team Rubicon, ITDRC. They all kind of use amateur radios uh, as well uh, in some form of communication. I mean, even just going out and getting a GMRS license may be helpful for you to be able to have some communication when uh, a disaster strikes. So, uh, you know, join one of those teams, receive the training, uh, and just be ready to lend your skills whenever the community needs them the most. Uh, This is, again, National Preparedness Month. And just, uh, I figured it was a great time to be able to talk about this. And uh, if you need more information, go out to ready.gov. The, you know, FEMA and the federal government puts out some information in there. So uh, there's all kinds of stuff out there. If you type in go bag checklist or emergency checklist, there's all kinds of stuff you can find online uh, talking about that a little bit more. And developing your own list and your checklist and having a copy of that of what you want. 
Well, if you have any questions or need more, more information on this, please feel free to reach out to me. I've got a brand new email address now, W0MET, my call sign, at thehamradioguide.com. Again, W0MET, at thehamradioguide.com. And you can find that uh, on the webpage as well. So I hope that uh, if you have any questions or comments on this, uh, talking about emergency communications, part two in this segment this week, that you'll definitely uh, you know, look at uh, reaching out to me and, and, and providing any comment you might have on some of this. And it'll go from there. Uh, and look forward to hearing from you. Well, looking for all things ham radio related, uh, visit the Ham Radio Guy website at thehamradioguide.com for informative uh, content, product reviews, and exciting blog posts. Join the conversation on your favorite podcast platform and stay up to date with the latest trends and news in ham radio world. Connect with us. Uh, ah, boy, I can't say today. I'll tell you, I'm a little stuffed up again. Uh, connect, us, uh, connect with us on Twitter at the Ham Radio Guy. Uh, for even more updates and engaging interactions. And don't miss out on the fun and knowledge sharing. Uh, subscribe to the Ham Radio Guy podcast today and keep up to date with everything we're doing uh, on this channel. So um, let's get into a few HamFest. Um, talk about some of those upcoming. Uh, just a week out from here, September 22nd, 23rd, the HRO Superfest, hosting the ARRL Wisconsin State Convention, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you're in that your neck of the woods. The Red River Radio Amateur 2023 Ham Fest will be uh, in West Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, sponsoring the ARRL uh, Dakota Division Convention. The September 23rd Spokane Ham Fest looks like it's been canceled, but October 6th and 7th, the Slidell EOC Ham Fest, sponsoring the ARRL Louisiana State Convention, that'll be held in Slidell, Louisiana. And then Wichita area Kansas State Hemfest, sponsoring the ARRL Kansas Convention, will be held in Wichita, Kansas on October 7th. So there you go. There's some future Hemfest coming up. If you're in one of those areas, uh, feel free to slide on over to that and uh, you know catch another Hemfest there before end of the year here as we go. Well, um, I, Bob brings this show to a. Uh, to end here, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you become a subscriber wherever you get your podcast. If you can rate and review the show, go out to Spotify or Apple Podcast, or you can just go old school and tell your friends or family, neighbors, uh, hell, anybody you want might hear something uh, they like. Uh, you know, they, they can join in and listen to this podcast. If you're on social media, be sure to again follow us on Twitter at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ham radio guy. You can listen to us on YouTube uh, version on the W0MET channel. So I hope that um, you learned something that, as well this week and that this will help you in your ham radio operations. If you have questions or comments, please leave them on Twitter, uh, podcast uh, platform, or email me again, W0MET at thehamradioguy.com. As always, this is your ham radio guy. In the chair and on the air, 
I say 73. W0 MET.